All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Yeah, absolutely. Good to have you here today. Who doesn't love a good rescue story, even if it is a classic old school Superman from, get this, 1978, right? Some of you maybe uh, saw that in the theater. I had a gentleman come up to me uh, after the service last night and say, he saw that, that exact one in the theater in 1978. So uh, that was a little bit before my time, but uh, if that gives you an idea. But we love rescue stories. Even if they're from 30, 40 years ago, who doesn't love a good rescue story? And it's not just Superman. You know, we kind of ooh and ah over that, but it's in the stories and the movies we love. If you, if you look at the films that you've loved over the course of your lifetime, think about this for a second. There is something that all of those uh, films and stories have in common. There is a moment of darkness. There is a moment of pain or despair where the, the, the lady is dangling from the skyscraper or there's somebody trapped in a cave or somebody's being held hostage or whatever it is. There's a moment of darkness. There's a, note, um, a moment of, of pain. And in those moments, in those stories, we long for a glimmer of hope. We long for the possibility of, res excuse me, rescue. And if you don't think that rescue is this reoccurring theme, I want you to think about some of the films that have been uh, coming out in Hollywood the last several years. I don't know if you've noticed, but as I watch all these movies coming out, my first thought is, haven't we seen this before? Like, isn't that a remake of a remake of a remake? You know what I'm talking about? We, we have sequels. And we have trilogies, and we have these films that they just keep going back to over and over and over again. The highest grossing, biggest blockbusters, The Avengers, Spider-Man, all 17 of them. Star Wars, all 20 of them. Uh, Batman, and of course, Superman, right? What do all these stories have in common? I believe that they tap into our deep longing and desire for rescue. Could it be that you and I love these stories, not just because, well, it's the next great film to come out. Could it be that you and I love these stories and keep buying tickets and keep going back because you and I are living in a story of rescue as well? Every single one of us knows that we live in a time in our world where I, I'm not the only one that's kind of wondered this. Jesus, you could just come back anytime now, right? Like, we don't need Superman. We need Jesus. Amen. We needed him to come back and set things straight. There is a lot of darkness in this world. There's a lot of evil in this world. I'm ready whenever. I hope you are. Uh, and that, that could be uh, whenever. But I want to be ready. We live in a story of rescue because, well, we have a rescuer. That's the difference is that in these films we have to wait for. But we, we keep buying movies. Uh, we keep uh, buying these tickets and going back and seeing these films, even though we know what's going to happen. And we know what's going to happen is because we live in this story. We have a rescuer as well. And so in this uh, scripture that you heard read this morning from Exodus, God's people are in need of a rescue, and they are in need of a rescue from, well, literal chains. They are slaves, real, actual slaves that are enslaved to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and they have been for a long, long time. But it's not this story that's a, a story of, of rescue and needing chains. If you think about it, all of the Bible is a story of God's people choosing chains over freedom. And I think if we're honest, it's not just the Bible story, but it didn't end with the Bible. It continues with us. All of us need rescue from something. It doesn't really make sense to have a savior unless we need saving from something. So the question I want to pose to you as we start this morning is, what do you need rescue from? <laughs> what do you need rescue from? What do you need saving from this morning? 
on a kind of lighter, surfacey level interpretation of that question, some of you are like, I will tell you the first thing that pops into my head, I need rescue from the piles of laundry that are consuming my house right now, right? I'm being overtaken by dirty dishes or laundry or whatever it is. For some of you that are young parents uh, that got here at 1117 this morning, praise God that you are here. You made it. They're clothed, they're fed, and they're alive, and you're at church. So praise God for you. That's awesome. And now they're up in Hope Kids, and you're like, ah, oh, because I need rescue from my life. Some of you are thinking, I need rescue. I just need a few moments of sanity, of peace. Well, we're glad we can offer that to you here this morning as well. Maybe some of you feel like you need rescue from your job, that you're in a dead-end job, and you're like, I can't. I'm just dreading Monday morning. I need, I need rescue. I need purpose in my job. But I have a feeling that for a lot of us, you're thinking, uh, John, rescue, I don't really need rescue from anything. I'm doing pretty well. My life is fine. My life is pretty good. You know, there's not the, you know, got the house, got the kids, got the wife, and there's nothing to complain about, right? I want to challenge you to think a little bit deeper. What do you need rescue from? We all need rescue, and it's just usually in the things that you and I are really good at hiding, especially as Christians. The chains are still there. It's just that some people's chains are a little bit more visible, visible and well, all of ours are inside as well. And all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, came walking in those doors this morning carrying some chains. There's some things that we need rescue from, but that we just hide them easier. For some of us, we are enslaved to our work, and it is consuming us. We keep getting pulled back and pulled back, thinking it's going to fill us up. But it never does. 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week not taking your Sabbath, not worshiping weekly. I'm just going to go, go, go. I can't, I can't do it this week. It's not filling your soul. Some of you are looking for your value or your identity or your worth and maybe what another man or another woman can tell you. And so you are enslaved essentially to the opinions of others and you need rescue. Some of you are maybe enslaved, honestly, to the mirror and what the mirror tells you in your own self-image. You've given permission to the mirror to tell you your value and your worth. You're enslaved to whatever controls you. And it can be a lot of different things. Some of us are enslaved to fear about the future and we need rescue. Some of you might feel like you need rescue from your own calendar, right? You look at your calendar and you're between your, your kids maybe, or your social life or your job or your hobbies and all the different things that you have planned. You're just going from one thing to the next and it just keeps pulling you back into busyness and the casualty is your heart. I love this quote from Bob Goff. It's a, a, an author that's written a lot of books that a lot of you have maybe heard of. And in his new book, he has this quote that he says this, the battle for our hearts is often fought on the pages of our calendar. The battle for our hearts is often fought on the pages of our calendar. I, I, I heard an, an audible moan when I said that. So I'm guessing that some of you are resonating with that. I'm preaching to myself too. And the casualty is our hearts. Some of you today, your chains are from your past, and what you need is rescue from your past, a mistake that you made or something that happened to you, and no matter how hard you try, you find you can't outrun your past. It just keeps following you, and the guilt and the shame from your past. For some of you, if you're anything like me, we need saving from ourselves, don't we? Like every day, like I, there's this person I'm trying to be, but I just can't get there. Maybe there's some ugly habit or addiction that's surrounding you. In fact, the way that we talk about this at our Celebrate Recovery Ministry at Hope that's out uh, at our West Des Moines campus on Thursday nights, and there's a lot of support groups that we do here as well, and we use this, use this language a lot, is that every single one of us has hurts, habits, 
and hangups. Let's say those together. Everybody say hurts. Everybody say habits and hangups. That's how we talk about it. All of us have those things. It's not there's those people over there that are in recovery and they have the real issues. And then there's me and I'm normal and I'm good, right? Says you that walked in this morning carrying your chains. Okay? We just hide them easier. And there is tremendous freedom for us in saying, I've got issues. I've got hurts. I've got habits. And I've got hangups. And this is not in my notes. And this is not scripted. This is John's personal opinion. I think that every single one of us should be in Celebrate Recovery. Why? Because we're all in recovery, right? We've, can I get an amen from the congregation? Amen. Okay. Even if you don't agree, that's okay. We all have issues. We all have struggles. And it's not those people and then me over here. Every single one of us has hurts and habits and hangups. We've got, we're recovering from something because we're human, because we're broken, sinful people, and we're all in the same boat together. And there's tremendous freedom in that and saying, I've got issues. And then you don't have to hide anything. You don't have to come walking in on Sunday morning with your coffee and, hey, everything's great. It's okay to not be okay at Hope. Let me just say that. It is okay to not be okay. You don't have to come here and put on any mask. Why? Because we all have issues. And I don't know if you just met the person sitting next to you or if you're married to them, but it doesn't matter. In all Christian love, turn to your neighbor right now next to you and say, neighbor, you've got issues. Tell them that right now. You've got issues. Okay, folks, I gave you one thing to say. Some of you are still, it's not a paragraph here, okay? Some of you are like, I came with my spouse today. Thank you, Pastor John, for the opportunity. I've been waiting to say that for a month, right? You've got issues. We all do. And there's freedom in just getting that out on the table. It's hard to argue with the fact we need rescue. Amen? Amen. Every single one of us. And it's why we love these movies and stories of needing rescue, because we're living in it every day. And so the question that I want to answer today is, how do we find hope in the midst of our chains? How do we find hope in the midst of this dark world that we live in? How do we find hope in the midst of waiting for rescue and the things that you're struggling with that you're up against today? Well, the answer to that is we go back to our story. We go back to our story and we discover that we too have a rescuer. There's two ways to read the Bible. One is, wow, that's a story. The other way to read the Bible is to say, that's our story. That's my story. And it revolutionizes the way that you look at the Bible. No longer are you reading it goes, wow, those people are messed up. They got issues, right? They keep running back to their chains and God keeps setting them free and they keep running back. The story of the Old Testament is people run away, God gives them back. People run away, God gives them back. And then you start changing your mind when you read the Bible and go, wait a minute, I do that every day, every week. So maybe the Bible isn't just a story, maybe it's your story. And so we go back to that and we discover that we have a rescuer as well. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 7, or if it's on your phones, pull out your Bible app. Uh, if you have a hard time remembering to bring your Bible, I know you don't have a hard time remembering your phone, because for a lot of us, it's an appendage of our body, and so you have it. And so there's some kind people that have invented these things called Bible apps. There's a great one called Version, which I would encourage you to find, and then you just always have it. And you can just pull it up, and there's Bible reading plans. You can read with your friends. It'll even send you a message when you haven't read your Bible in a while. It's like the Holy Spirit in your pocket, Okay. <laughs> Check it out. Exodus chapter 7, okay? Exodus chapter 7. A little bit before our Bible reading today, we're going to start there, and we know that God's people are enslaved in Egypt, and God has come to Moses. He's asked him to lead his people. Moses said, not going to do it. God said, yes, you are. I'm God. Moses said, okay. So they went back and forth for a while, and what is the mission that God has invited Moses to be a part of is to set God's people free from their chains, 
For the Israelites, for God's people, it's literal chains. For us, we all have our chains as well. And finally, after years and years of God's people being enslaved in Egypt in these terrible conditions, God says, I've had enough. And God puts together this rescue plan. And just when we think all hope is lost, just like Superman, right? What's going to happen? Who's going to save us? God comes to save the day, but he does it in kind of an unconventional way. Chapter 7, verse 2. God says to Moses, you are to say everything I command you and your brother. Aaron is to tell the Pharaoh, to Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. God says, then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. In other words, God is saying, I am going to go on an all-out blitz through you as my spokesperson, Moses, to do whatever it takes to change Pharaoh's heart. And from chapter, Exodus chapter 7 through Exodus chapter 12, that's what God does. And the reason we're not spending a lot of time in those chapters is because I can sum it up on one slide. God sends the plagues. Everybody say plagues. God sends the plagues over and over and over again. He sends 10 plagues, everything from uh, to, to change Pharaoh, to, to convince him to let his people go. The Nile River is turned to blood, so you can imagine it, it, it ruins their ecosystem. He sends, uh, um, he sends uh, plagues of frogs and gnats and flies. All the livestock uh, are killed, so it ruins their economy, their agricultural system. He sends boils. If you don't know what boils are, you don't want them. He sends hail and locusts and darkness. And again and again, these nine plagues will get to the 10th in a second, but over and over. There's two ways to look at this. Some of you have a really hard time with the God of the Old Testament because of things like this. You're like, seriously? I look at Jesus in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus and God, right? They're both God. I look at Jesus and he's like, let the little children come to me, cheap cabbage patch dolls, like this Jesus. <laughs> and then you look at the God of the Old Testament and you're like, this is some weird sci-fi movie gone wrong. Like, who is this God, right? It doesn't seem compatible. Do you believe that God can be a God of love and justice, right? When Jesus came, he was a God full of grace and truth, and you can't have grace and love without truth. You can't have love without justice. Sometimes justice is love. So the other way to look at this, instead of, wow, what an angry God, the other way to look at the God of the Old Testament is, <laughs> here is the, essentially the Hitler of his time. Uh, an enemy of God's people, an evil, cruel, murderous dictator. And God gives him chance after chance after chance to repent. Ten chances, actually. God could have just been like, done, let my people go. Like, boom, you're all dead, right? But he didn't. Time after time after time, God calls us to repent. And just as an aside, if you want to make this connection, God has unlimited patience for you. God sees inside of your heart, and for a heart that is longing to change, that is longing to repent. If you're like me, sometimes I'm guessing that you've had this thought go into your head. How many times is God going to take me back? Like, how patient is God? How many times can I come crawling back to the cross saying, God, I'm sorry, I screwed up again? God says, as many times as it takes, <laughs> you can come back to me. But God looks at Pharaoh's heart and he sees that it's hard, that it's callous, that it's evil, that there's no turning back. And so again and again and again, God sends these plagues again and again. And then with every plague, Pharaoh doesn't loosen the chains. He will not let the Israelites go. And then we arrive in chapter 12. So if you have your finger in chapter 7, flip over to chapter 12. 
Finally, God tells Moses, I'm going to do something that will absolutely convince Pharaoh. God says, I'm going to send the angel of death. This is the 10th plague to kill the firstborn in every house in Egypt. Some of you walked in here and this is your first time this morning and we get up to read the Bible. We're sacrificing lambs and we're slaughtering things. You're like, what kind of a church is this, right? Well, you have to understand the story. God still has a plan to rescue his people, even though the angel of death will come. And this is what God says to his people, his rescue plan. He says, I want you to take, as you often do when you worship and they used to sacrifice pure spotless animals. God says, take a pure spotless unblemished lamb and sacrifice it and, and eat that for your meal, which will become the Passover meal. But God says, take that pure spotless lamb, sacrifice, eat that, and then in a, in a hyssop branch from a hyssop tree, take that, dip it in the pure spotless blood. You might want to get that. God's calling. Um, <laughs> and take that and dip it in the blood and then Israelites over the top and the sides of your doorposts, of your doorframe, put that on there. And when the angel of death comes the angel of death will pass over. Props to our creative team, too, for this door. I, they had it shipped in from Egypt. It's right there. It's authentic. just came in this morning. And the angel of death will pass over you. Essentially, and remember this phrase because we'll use it later, they are to be saved by the blood of the lamb. They will be saved by the blood of the lamb. And so this is what happens. The angel of death comes and Pharaoh finally changes his mind. I mean, he realizes how big of a God that he's dealing with. And he lets God's people go for a time until he starts chasing him. And we'll get to that story to be continued next week. The angel of death passes over and Pharaoh realized, I'm going to let these people go from slavery into freedom. And I don't know about you, but put yourself in the shoes of God's people that have literally been in chains their whole life. Their only identity is what I can do to serve the Pharaoh, who, by the way, called himself the son of God. Who says the Old Testament doesn't have anything to do with the New Testament, right? Pharaoh calls himself God, and so here's these people. All they've ever known is slavery. Their identity is that they are in need of rescue. And can you imagine running free from your chains for the first time? I would imagine some of them, they didn't know what to do because that's all they've ever known. And the danger is that for you and I, our chains become normal too. And you came walking in here this morning like, yep, I got my chains. And God says, you know, you don't have to carry it. No, no, I do. Because, you know, this happened to me back in college, right? I made this mistake in high school or whatever. Well, I, I got to just carry him around. I just, you know, being a Christian is just having more things to feel guilty about. So I'm just going to carry my chains around too. And God says, you don't have to. That's not how you were created to live. And just like the Israelites, you were made to run free. I think about the Israelites after the Passover meal as they leave Egypt for the very, very first time and what it would be like to run into freedom. I was trying to think about a practical example to help you think about this. I remember a story uh, back in high school. I think it was my freshman or sophomore uh, year. I was there. I was not on the track team because I don't understand why anybody would run for fun unless you're being chased. But some of my friends were on the track team. And one of my friends named Steve uh, was quite the track star. And so he was in the 400 meter hurdles. And so the 400 meter hurdles is the last event of the track meet. So what do you do in a track meet 
meet when you're waiting, well, you sit in the infield and you talk to all the other people and the, the other students from the schools. And so the 400 meters was about to start, and so the announcer guy was calling off the names. And where is Steve? For his main event, he's sitting in the infield talking to the ladies from the rival school. So I, we were rolling story. You don't talk to anybody from South Hamilton, especially <laughs> not ladies, okay? So that was the rival school. So he's over there hamming it up with the ladies, and the announcers start calling out. There's five people in the race. So lane number one, lane number two, he starts naming it up, and he gets to lane number five, Steve. And where's Steve? Steve's flirting with the girls over there, right? And so I have never seen my track coach, this is an odd thought because he's a track coach, but I've never seen my track coach run like he did at that time. And he sprints 200 yards over to the middle of the big football infield where the track is going around, grabs him from the back of the jacket from his windsuit and says, get over there. I'm guessing that's what he said, but get over there. And Steve starts running. And as he's running, he realizes I have my windsuit on. I have my track suit on. So as he's running, he's unzipping his, his coat and he gets that off and he chucks it over the side, but he's still got his pants on. Well, you can't run when you have your, your swishy, your wind pants on. And so he's like, oh, forget it. I got to go because the other people are like, you know, in their, in their starting blocks. And so he just wears his, his wind pants in the starting blocks and he gets there and the gun goes off. And he takes off and he's doing pretty well for a while. The problem is when you have loose pants like that that aren't tied, as you run, the pants go down. Okay, so as he's running, the pants just keep farthing, farther and farther down so they're around his ankles, and he is losing ground. I mean, he's like, in, he's one of the best guys in the state, and he's losing ground. He's in last place, and it's almost like, it's almost like he had chains around his ankles. Like, he was just shackled, and he, and he couldn't run. And so about halfway through the race, he's like, fine, and everybody is cheering for him and laughing at the same time. And he just stops in the middle of the track, and he takes off his track cleats, and he takes off his, he had shorts on underneath. This isn't rated R or anything. He takes off his, his pants. I will never forget this moment. In front of the entire stadium, he just takes his track pants and just chucks them in the infield like that and takes off, and he still finished dead last. The moral of the story is... Don't talk to girls. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the moral of the story is you were never meant to run bound by anything. And some of you have chains in your life and they're in the inside and they are bound around your heart and you think that it's normal. You think that you have to live with whatever you're living with. That there is a picture of this man or woman of God that you have been created to be and you have this race set out for you in your life and it seems like every time you try to take off just like my buddy Steve, you get tripped up. I want to beat this habit. I want to beat this addiction. I want, to, I, I, I want to figure out how to work through the problems we're having in our marriage. This, this habit, this fear, this guilt that I feel, and it keeps tripping me up. And trying harder isn't going to fix it. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read it nice and loud together. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles so pastors go to seminary and we do all these important things and we read these books and we are reading this chapter of Hebrews in a very important uh, philosophical uh, theology class one time and I was in charge of reading Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and I laughed out loud in front of my seminary class because every time I read that I think of Steve chucking his pants off on the track. Like that's what comes to mind when I read that verse. But that's the idea. You don't have to live like that. What's got you tangled up today? What's prohibited you from running? Every single one of us needs rescue. Every single one of us has chains. And the good news is that God is in the business 
of setting slaves free. And business is really good. It was thousands of years ago in Egypt, and it's really good for you this morning. God can break your chains. We have a chain breaker, and his name is Jesus. But before we get to Jesus, I want to tell you the rest of the story because you're going to appreciate Jesus even more. So not only does God set his people free in Egypt, but he's, as he's telling them this rescue plan, he also says, I never want you to forget what I've done for you and how faithful I am for you. And so just like the, the meal at the first Passover, he says, I want you to gather with your family every year as Israelites, as the Jewish nation, to celebrate this meal together of unleavened bread and bitter herbs and lamb and wine and all, each one of those foods of the Seder meal, as it's become known, has a special meaning to do with the Exodus. And so we pick it up in chapter 12, verse 24, if you skim down the page. God says this to his people, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. If you ever hear God tell you a lasting ordinance, it's not a suggestion, okay? For you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, so the promised land, observe this ceremony, the ceremony called Passover. And when your parents listen up, when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them it is the Passover to our Lord, sacrifice to our Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. In other words, God's people, when your kids ask you, why do we do what we do? Please have an answer for them. Please don't say, well, it's, you know, you know, it's our tradition. It's what we do. It's what our parents taught us. So it, it, please don't give them religion. Tell them the story. And for those of us as parents of any age, <laughs> Don't let it be any different for you. When your kids ask, why are we going to church every week? What do you tell them? Do you have an answer for them? When your kids were growing up, what do you, what do, what do you tell them? Or if, even if your kids are older, mom and dad, you guys are sure really involved at church. Why? Why do you, why do you, why do you pray and read your book? Oh, you know, um, it's what we grew up with. Uh, it's a good, you know, good thing to do on Sundays. It's a good religious thing to do. Oh. <sighs> Nothing's more deflating than that. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them the stories. That's what God is telling us. Tell the story of the Exodus. How God came and rescued from darkness and sin and death your great, 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 great ancestors, right? Tell them the stories. Please don't give your kids just good values and morals. Anybody can give your kids value and morals. You know Jesus, so give them Jesus. Give your kids more than a packed schedule of activities and just being an Uber driver and running them around. Yes, be involved, but don't let it enslave you. Don't let it get it hooks in you. God tells his people, God tells these parents, give your kids the best gift that you could ever give them. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them the stories of this man named Jesus who lived and died and rose again and wants to have a daily relationship with them and walk beside them. They may not get it all now, but they will thank you now and they will thank you forever because you're giving them something way better than sports or activities or your money or a packed schedule. Give them something that can actually satisfy their soul forever. I was really involved as a kid and my parents had me involved in all sorts of things. But looking back on it now, the greatest gift that my parents ever gave me 
was they lived their faith at home, not just dropping me off at Sunday school. They lived it, and that was the greatest gift that they ever gave me. They never once said you should become a pastor. I chose that. Well, God chose me. They gave me Jesus. Parents, give your kids Jesus. Let them see you reading your Bible. Let them see you praying. And when they ask, why are we going to church? Don't tell them because it's our tradition or it's what we do on Sunday. Tell them there's this man named Jesus that loves you and wants to have a relationship with you and that we need community and mom and dad need friends. We need more than just each other. We need Christian community. I need to talk to God every single day. Give them a heart that's on fire for Jesus. So back to the Exodus. For thousands of years, this is what they do. Parents tell their kids the story of how God saved them, of the blood on the doorpost and the story of the Exodus and God's great rescue. Flash forward a few thousand years, and there's a quiet upper room in Jerusalem where a rabbi from Nazareth has gathered with his closest friends, and it's Passover, so they're all in Jerusalem for the big Passover festival. I mean, it's a deal now every year. I mean, it's like the state fair on steroids. It's a thing. You don't want to miss Passover and the the festival that accompanies that. Well, this rabbi, his name was Jesus, and he was a good Jew. And he knew that his time was short in a couple days that he would die, that he would be crucified. And so he's gathered with his friends, his disciples, and he celebrates the Passover meal. But instead of going through the traditional Passover ritual and all the different things to eat, Jesus starts flipping the script. And he says in in Matthew chapter 26, you've probably heard me say these words before up here. They're right out of the Bible. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, not this thick of bread. It would be flat, unleavened bread for the Passover. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. And the disciples as good Jews has got to be thinking, Jesus, wait, wait, What? (laughs) The bread is your body? No, 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 no. The bread is supposed to represent the lamb that was broken. And then Jesus takes the cup after supper and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink from it, all of you, for the forgiveness of sins. And you have to believe that as good Jews, they're watching Jesus say this, and they got to be thinking, wait, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. A broken body and spilt blood. <laughs> a broken body and spilt Blood. Jesus, are you saying that you're the lamb that's going to be sacrificed? No wonder. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were starting our ministry, John the Baptist pointed at you and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I love the Old Testament. You want to know why? Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. What is Jesus doing here at communion that we're going to celebrate in a little bit? He's writing a new story of rescue. He's saying, I am the new and better Moses, and I am the new and better and all-sufficient lamb. He's writing the greatest rescue story in the history of the world. Every single one of these superhero movies should be paying royalties to God because they borrowed his plot. Because when we think that all was lost, Jesus came. And three days later, he completed the greatest rescue mission of all time. He lived and died and rose again. Jesus is the new and better Moses. Jesus is saying to his disciples and to all of us, yes, Moses might have been used by God to lead you out of your chains in Egypt, but every single one of you from now until the end of time has chains. And I can not only lead you out of Egypt, Jesus says, but I can lead you out of your sin and out of your death and into the promised land. I'm the new and better Moses. But Jesus is also the new and better 
lamb that can set you free from your sin and death because there are some chains that every single one of us has that no matter how strong you are or tough you are or how often you come to worship or if you're apathetic to this whole Jesus or church thing, there are two chains in your life that you will never be able to break on your own. And it's our own sin and it's our own death. And Jesus says, wait a minute, I got that covered too. Jesus says, come here this morning to each of us. Come here and let's not stand under the covering of the blood on the doorpost anymore. Jesus says, why don't you come And let's stand at the foot of an old Roman cross where the ground is level for every single one of us, sinners in need of a savior. Come. And whenever death comes for you, whenever that is in your life, whenever death comes for you, Jesus says, I'll look at death and say, you might as well just pass right over. Not this one. As he puts his arm around you. Not this one. Death isn't going to be the end of their story because the blood of the lamb has saved them. And Jesus looks at death and he says, where is your sting? Even those of you that have lost somebody and it just pierces your soul. Death has no power anymore because of what Jesus has done, because of the blood of the lamb. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And I would imagine that there was blood stains on that cross when Jesus died, just like the blood covered the doorposts. You are not alone, Jesus says. I'm in this with you. Stay close to me and you'll live forever. You might as well just pass right over. And notice what Jesus says as he's with his disciples. He says, this cup is the new covenant for you, for all people, shed for you. It's not just for the Jews, it's for all people. And that's really important because that means it's for you. And this love and this forgiveness and this salvation is for you and it's for me, all of us. And it's even for people in the city of Des Moines, and the tens and thousands of people that don't know, number one, that they have chains, and number two, that there's a chain breaker. It's for them as well, even for the people that don't know it yet. And that's the heart behind why we do everything we do here as a church. That's why I'm so excited about this brand new building, and I'm giddy and almost wanted, didn't want to preach. I just wanted to get to the meeting today. But it's important that we hear the good news because we need to be reminded of why we do what we do. Because there are people out there that need to be rescued. And Jesus, for 2,000 years, through the local church, the power of Jesus sets people free and he uses the local church. There's two ways to view this vote today. There's a couple ways to view adding on space. One is, well, we're going to make a church bigger. You know, we're going to give some money and we're going to build a bigger church, you know. And I don't know, you give money and you're a cowboy or from the West or something, but... (laughs) Or you can say, God's built a rescue mission right here in the heart of the city. And there's a lot more people that need to be rescued, including you and me. There's a chain breaker, and his name is Jesus. So a couple weeks ago, I got done preaching, and a gentleman walked up this aisle right here, and he looked pretty beat up, both physically, but also just like life just beat it out of him. All the joy and all the passion and he came walking up and I find out that his name is Ron. It's not him, but boy, it sure looked like him. (laughs) He said he'd been picked up at one of our bus stops that day that we do for breakfast club. He said, I heard that a church was picking up people at the bus stop here and he's not living anywhere right now. One of the camps or bridges that we drive over. And he said, I heard a church was 
picking up. So I hadn't been to worship in a while, so I, I thought I could really use that. So I was getting to know Ron a little bit, and I said, Ron, how was breakfast? And he said, you guys had me at biscuits and gravy, is what he said. <laughs> so come for the breakfast and stay for Jesus. And after that, he starts to tear up and tell me a story, and he says, Pastor, I've been, this past Thursday, I got, I got kicked out of I got kicked out of the shelter for the third time because I can't stop drinking. And you got to be sober. So I don't have anywhere to go. But I saw the bus and it said Lutheran Church of Hope. Okay. I can't stop drinking no matter how hard I try. I can't stop. And it's, it's literally killing me. And he said, I need help. And all I could think of was my friend Steve. <laughs> you know, I think about that now, just running like my new friend Ron is just trying to run and he tries to change and he tries to break those chains, but it's like there's chains around him. There's chains around his heart. And I look back at the clock as I'm like got my arm around this guy that I've never met. It's like three minutes till the 11 o'clock service starts because the pastor went, got long-winded or something. And I look back and I'm like, oh, forget about it. We'll start late because this is my job. My job is not to start the second service on time. Sorry, Ron's my job right now. This is why we exist as a church. And I just looked at him and I'm like, I don't, imagine me being lost for words. Like, I don't know what to say, dude, right? And I just looked at him, I said, Ron, I don't know the last time that somebody's told you this, but you are so loved by God. You are loved more than you ever know. And I don't know why I just started to cry in that moment. I said, Ron, I want you to look at that cross. And I pointed him to that cross, and I hope you look at it on a regular basis. And I said, because of what Jesus did on that cross, you are not just an alcoholic. You are a son of God. That is who you are. That's how God sees you. And he wants to rescue you from this. He has so much more for you than this. And I said, Ron, we're going to come alongside you, and we're going to get you some help. We're going to come alongside you as a church. And I remember in that moment thinking two things, and I want you to hear me loud and clear. And the reason I say this story, I am no different than Ron, and you are no different than Ron. It's very, very easy to say there's those homeless people that have alcohol issues. Sorry, but alcoholism isn't partial to your socioeconomic status. We just hide it better. Same as workaholism or whatever else you're into, whatever else has its grip on you today. And I said, Ron, I want you to look over there at the cross. That ground is level. That means that you've got chains and I've got chains. But there's a chain breaker for people like Ron and for people like you and me. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're adding on to our rescue mission. That's why it matters because we're not playing church. Jesus is literally saving people in front of our very eyes. If you would just slow down and be used by God, he wants you to be a part of it. We have a chain breaker and his name is Jesus. And so before we move into communion, I just want to pause here for a second. And I just want to be still. And Jed's going to sing this song that maybe some of you have heard before. It's called Chainbreaker. And I want you to really listen to the words. And if you feel comfortable, you can bow your heads, you can pray, you can close your eyes. There's no magic to it. But if you feel comfortable, if you've got some chains that you want Jesus to take and you don't have to carry them any longer, we would, you would hold them out like this, wouldn't you? With open hands. And so if you feel comfortable, it's just an outward expression of what's going on in the inside. If you feel comfortable, just open up your hands. We'll just bring the lights down a little bit and we'll just chill. And we'll just listen to God. And you can just pray that simple prayer, Jesus, I don't want to carry my chains any longer.
even if you've gotten really good at hiding them. You don't have to live that way anymore. So hold out your hands and let's let this song and the words wash over us this morning.